Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 16 through 18. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. This is Jesus' words about fasting. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you didn't leave us alone or to muddle through lives by ourselves, but you sent Jesus, you sent, you came yourself to instruct and teach us about the right way to live. And I pray that you would help us as we look at this sermon from Jesus, and specifically we look at Jesus' words about fasting, that we would obey them, that you would, through the Holy Spirit, apply them to our lives, and that we would choose to walk in your words. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking as I was preparing for this message how uh, the job of a preacher is different depending on what the text or the kind of text is that he's preaching from. There are some passages of Scripture that as soon as you read them, it's really clear what they say and really clear what they mean and how it's applied to our life. And so they're fairly simple. And the Spirit of God then just convicts us if we're not obeying it or helps us to obey it more fully or to rejoice in the Word. And that's one kind of text. And then there's texts that are extremely complicated and difficult and hard to really understand what it's saying. And the job of a preacher then is different because the job of the preacher is to explain what the text is actually saying to help you understand it so that you can apply it to your lives. And then there are verses like this that are fairly clear, but maybe when you read it, it's a verse that you've skipped over every time you've read through the Sermon on the Mount because it feels like it has nothing to do with your life today. Jesus is talking about fasting, and if you read it in the translation we just read this morning, he's talking about how there are these hypocrites that disfigure their faces. And so depending on how you're approaching the text, if you say, well, I'm glad I'm not a hypocrite because I don't fast at all, let alone you know fast and then disfigure my face so that everybody knows that I'm fasting. So I'm grateful that I'm not a hypocrite. And then you just go on your way and we don't dig in more deeply to understand whether and how what Jesus had to say applies to us today. And maybe what went through your mind as you read the text, maybe even subconsciously what you say to yourself is, oh yes, one more moment for uh, the church to talk about how we need to fast, we need to deny ourselves, we need to not enjoy life um, because this is God's book and he's such a killjoy that Jesus has to talk to us about fasting. And so I want us to kind of dig into this to understand, first of all, I want us to begin by understanding that the Bible uh, is not the book of a killjoy. God is not a killjoy. He's not anti-physicality or anti-body or anti-sensual pleasures at all. Um, And we, we need to understand that to understand the context in which Jesus is talking about fasting And then to ask God to help us to apply the words that Jesus gave to us today. 
how can we take this book, these words that Jesus said 2,000 years ago and, and make them relevant to us here and now? I would guess that if I were to ask you all, um, I'm, I'm guessing that there's probably only one or two people in the entire congregation, maybe three people in this entire congregation, that have fasted a meal in the past month, fasted one or two meals in the past month for spiritual reasons and not just simply for health reasons. So it's evident that there's something strange here because Jesus assumes that the people that he's talking to are going to fast. He said even the hypocrites fast. So he said the people that that Jesus is actually criticizing, they fasted as well. Fasting was an assumed part of Jewish religious life. In fact, fasting is actually commanded for the Jewish people um, in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of um, Deuteronomy, there's a, there's a command, in fact, it's repeated three different times in different places, that on Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement, the great Jewish uh, day of, of sacrifice for the sins of the nation, they were, all of them, were commanded to fast. Uh, not only the, the people that were native-born Israelites, but the strangers and sojourners, all together were to fast. And the the Pharisees had um, actually really used fasting as one of the marks of spirituality. Um, that fasting or abstaining from food, not eating, was a way that they judged their spiritual state. And they would fast weekly. And the, the Christian church, from the very beginning all the way up to maybe 100 years ago or something... What we experience now, where fasting, we see fasting is completely disconnected from spiritual life, would be really unusual. Um, Even 100 years ago, fasting was considered normal. Most people would fast on a regular basis. The early Methodists under John Wesley required their preachers to fast regularly. And this, in fact, is something I've tried to to utilize in my own spiritual disciplines, to to fast, abstain from food, um, in obedience to, to what I believe uh, God calls us to, now it's not disobedience, I need to rephrase that, not obedience to what call, God calls us to, but instead maybe we should say as a healthy spiritual discipline. Um, fasting is just, it's a healthy thing to do. And some of us maybe the next question would be, why? Why would I fast? What's the purpose of fasting? Let's turn the question and the picture completely upside down to begin to get an idea of what fasting is about. What is feasting about? Is the Bible against feasting and enjoying food? Um, some people seem to think it is, but it's actually not. Um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 7, uh, the preacher of Ecclesiastes recognizes that there are moments and times for feasting, for enjoying a good meal. And we still do that today. We may not fast, but we certainly do feast. We don't call it a feast. That's a weird thing to call it. Instead, we might call it a banquet or a reception or most commonly, a party. And parties are about food and friends, people around us eating a lot of food. And um, if you go to a party and you don't eat, you're a party pooper, right? That's, that's your, uh, it's, it's kind of in poor taste, usually considered in poor taste, to go to a party and then not eat, not join into the celebration, because it's understood that a party is about going somewhere and our hearts are rejoicing or celebrating because of a birthday, a graduation, a milestone in somebody's life, an anniversary. So we go to the party and we eat food 
and our body gets to rejoice along with our hearts, right? We're happy. We're excited for these people. So we eat food because for most of us, eating food makes us happy. We enjoy the food. We enjoy the fellowship. And, and it becomes one big party, a party on the inside, a party on the outside. And all of us kind of dread stepping on the scales the next day because the party's going to, we're going to have to pay for the party. But that's kind of a weird modern thing that we do. Most, most people wouldn't have used to thought of that. And maybe that's, maybe the fact that we don't party very well is why we don't fast very well either. But the point is that a party, a, a feast, a banquet is about bringing our emotions and our, our physical responses into line with one another. So they, so they match up, so they agree together. If you're happy you eat. You eat a lot of food, and it's part of just, it's part of Thanksgiving dinner, or Christmas dinner, or family reunion, or a birthday. It's what that's about. Think about what it represents. What does it represent when we sit down to a big feast? It represents joy. It's happiness and joy, excitement. Um, Plenty. There's enough to eat. Uh, The first Thanksgiving dinner, right, was at least in legend, it's about the fact that they actually have enough to eat. And they're sitting down to rejoice over a meal because there's food to eat. And they're about enjoying what it means to be human to the fullest. Just rejoicing, happy, eating, and uh, eating with friends. And there's even a passage of scripture where the people were commanded to feast. The reason I think that this command shows up here, well, I'll read it to you. It's in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. The people have just been sorrowing over their disobedience to God's law, and they fasted. And now Nehemiah comes back to them and says, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This passage is actually commanding them to fast. He said, don't be sad. You're not allowed to be sad. So they're to feast and to rejoice, and the two things fit together. Do you see that? They're feasting in order to be happy, and they're happy, and so they're feasting. And they're trying to bring their emotions to reflect the way they should truly feel. There's another moment that we do this, because maybe you read that, and you're like, oh, it's a little, it's different. But there is another moment that we do this, and that's when someone has been through a very traumatic experience, a sad experience. And I would say there's a number of you that have been through something traumatic enough that you struggled to eat. You had, you lost your appetite. You didn't feel like eating. You didn't even want to eat. But then there comes the moment that you get over it. You're you're done. You're done with sad, and your appetite comes back. Do you remember that? And, and you actually, it comes back sometimes ravenously. You're, just, you're starved because you haven't eaten maybe for several meals. Maybe even ha- you haven't eaten well for a few days. And there's something, how often have you turned to a friend who's going through a hard thing or has just recently been through a hard thing and their appetite's just returning and you encourage them, eat, man, you're okay. It's, it's okay. We've come through the hard spot together and now it's time to eat. It's time to rejoice. It's, it's time to be okay again. And fasting is a picture, just like feasting is a picture of, of lining up our, our response to life, our, our appetites, 
with our emotions, fasting is the same thing. But in reverse, it's the idea, I recognize that I should be sad, and so therefore I fast. There's a time to feast, and there's a time to fast. The preacher of Ecclesiastes says there's a time to rejoice, and there's a time to cry. There's nothing wrong with sadness. It's not a wrong... In fact, it's a human emotion that that we should accept and recognize. And fasting, in the scriptures over and over again, fasting is a response of repentance. When they realize that they have sinned and they've turned from God and they've disobeyed Him, one of the things that they do is they fast. And it's about making our bodies grieve along with our hearts. To, to bring into alignment the, the emotion and the emotional response and my appetite and my spirit, my, my spiritual sensitivities. So Jesus is assuming that the people that he's talking to and preaching to are going to fast. And the, the fasting, um, it has two results. I, I mentioned already that one of the, one of the reasons why they're fasting, is they're fasting in repentance. But the result of fasting, and this is just a, this is basic fasting 101. If, if you implement fasting into your personal spiritual disciplines, and I hope, I really hope every one of you that are able physically to do so would do that. Write it down on your calendar. Write down one meal, if you can do this. Write down one meal that you're going to fast this next month or, or one meal in the next week that you add fasting into that discipline of spirituality. And here's one of the things that you'll find that fasting does for you. Fasting promotes gratitude. Uh, Is there anybody here besides me that you can eat to the point where you don't really enjoy the food or think about it and it's hard to truly be grateful because you're just surrounded with all kinds of awesome food all the time? The scripture mentions this as a danger, that when we're blessed with material blessings, uh, we can become deadened to those, those uh, blessings. They, they become nothing to us. Um, in fact, the preacher of the book of Ecclesiastes, the scripture I already mentioned, Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Go your way, eat, the fat, uh, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God accepts your works. And earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, the first two chapters, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I, I filled my life with every kind of sensual pleasure, and, and the results of wealth that I could possibly have. And I, I can tell you this about it. When my life was full of happiness and joy, happiness and pleasure constantly, there was no real joy. It was, in fact, empty. I was dead to it. Um, right before the service, Dan Prasinski and I were talking about snowmobiling. He bought a couple of snowmobiles to go snowmobile. And those are a lot of fun. But do you know, if you had to ride a snowmobile every single day for work, there comes a time when it's just commonplace. This thing that's, that's a blast to ride around on, it'll go something like 100 miles an hour, and there's no speed limits when you're riding in snow, right? They don't have any speed limit signs out in the woods for you to have to, oh, got to slow down to 65. You can just, you can just hold that throttle down full blast, But if you're doing that every single day, day in and day out, there comes a moment where you're just dead to it. It's just, yeah, I'm on this snowmobile. It's not. 
And the way to get pleasure out of that again is to, is to abstain for a little while. And then when you come back to it, you're like, I've forgotten how, how much fun this is. How it, it restores your sense of wonder and gratitude. And fasting from food is actually a way to enjoy food. Because when we fasted and abstained, when you come back, no food tastes good like food that you're eating after you've come off of a fast. Especially if you come off the fast to eat a really, really good meal. I can remember um, several years ago that there were some issues going on in my life. Uh, Actually, a friend that I was praying for, and I went on an extended fast for them. And I still remember uh, sitting down to that food uh, after I had fasted for that extended period of time, and that food was so good. And uh, even today, nowadays, when, I, when I'm fasting for a period of time, when I come back to that food, it's, it's so good. It tastes so delicious. Fasting is not a way to, to deaden our, our physical senses and to, to disregard our body's needs. It's actually a way to hone and sharpen our own sense of gratitude. But not only does does fasting give us a more grateful heart, but fasting also humbles us, or at least it should. The purpose of fasting is to humble us. And I believe the reason why fasting can be so effective at humbling our hearts is because when we're not fasting, when we're just, we eat when we're hungry, we enjoy whatever we want to enjoy, and all of the principles that apply to fasting from physical food apply to consuming in general. We're what we call a consumer generation. So um, most of you, I I wish I could, sometimes I'm tempted to just ask for a show of hands, but I would say that the majority of you ordered something off of Amazon this week. And if you didn't order something off of Amazon, you at least bought something. Um, At our house, we have needs, and packages show up on our front door and front porch, and sometimes I don't even know what it is. It just shows up there, and I'll ask Angelica, and she'll tell me, this is a birthday present for the kids. Or this is, you know, something just showed up, some little something, because, you know, Amazon is there, and you can click, and it's easy. And, and eventually, just like with food, you can be, you can be deadened to the fact that it, it is a blessing that just about anything I want to buy is at my fingertips in a moment. I don't even have to go to the store. They'll bring it to my house for free. In less than 24 hours sometimes. I've, I've had it even like less than that. I've had it show up. I think I, I had a, uh, something show up at my house in less than 12 hours one time. I just ordered it and they just drove up to my house and they set the package on my front door. Isn't that amazing? Do you remember when you first heard about Amazon two-day prime shipping? Yeah. And now it's just like, now if it takes three days, it's like, good night. I'm going to have to call them. This is ridiculous. This took forever to get here. Do you understand what I'm saying? We get... We lose that sense of wonder and gratitude when something becomes commonplace. And the way to restore that gratitude and joy is to abstain from it and then to come back to it. This is true for technology. Our phones are, are just absolutely pieces of wonder. They're, they're a little glass slab that will serve up anything your heart could desire. And we can grow desensitized to that sense of pleasure that we get out of that thing if we don't ever take a break. And God built us with a need for rhythms in our life, rhythms of setting a thing aside and then taking it back up, a time to fast and a time to feast. And not only does does fasting bring gratitude, but it builds a sense of humility 
because I realize how dependent I am on everything around me. I realize that I am not self-sufficient. And I said, as I said already, this applies not only to food, but to every other thing in our lives, all the things we consume. Some of us would say, I don't really need that much entertainment. I'm good. And then you try to go an hour or two without your phone. And you find out how just how desperately in need of entertainment you are. You find out how, how much difficulty you have being alone with your own thoughts for just a few minutes. If that's an experience that you have, you need to implement a program of digital fasting in your life. You, and I'm not telling you this to bind your conscience to tell you, if you don't do this, you're not even a Christian. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that wisdom says if you're going to be a whole human and what you need to be, you need to take a break. If you find yourself needing to check the news every single day, you need to take a break. In fact, what can happen is what begins as just a little tick, a little desire to find out what the headlines are, can turn into anxiety where those, our emotions rise and fall based on what those headlines look like. And Scripture, because Scripture is full of wisdom, you can find this same wisdom. There, you know, there's, there's people that don't even serve God, that maybe even atheists or those that don't even uh, know God, that would tell you the exact thing I'm telling you today. But we in the church, that's, I believe, why Jesus said those, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. Because we in the church sometimes can be like, well, I'm going to be on my hunky-dory way and, you know, and not implement this, this idea of fasting into our lives. If you find yourself hooked on buying stuff all the time, have a fast. Make a fast. Take a week off. One of the purposes of the weekly Sabbath, of taking a day when I don't work, and and for me personally, I don't check any headlines on Sunday. I'm not telling you that to to, uh, tell you what to do. It's not a sin to check headlines on Sunday. But it gives me a break. It gives me a day off away from all those things. The reason why I don't buy things on Sunday, the reason why I try to live a life so that other people don't have to work or buy things on Sunday. I sometimes do a little extra work so that other people don't have to go to work. Um, The reason why I don't go to a restaurant on Sunday, the reason why I don't do that is so that we can have a weekly rhythm of rest in our lives. Doesn't that just make sense? I think it's reasonable. We can complain and talk about the sad state our world is in when we're at a constant breakneck pace. Anyone here you feel like you're not busy enough? I don't know there's anybody here that feels like you're not busy enough. And yet, God gives us the gift of rest in the shape of the Sabbath, and we say, ah, I don't know about that. That seems a little extreme to me. And we go on our merry way, racing from day to day to day. The Sabbath, Sunday, is about a weekly fast from the regular rhythm of things that we do We try to order our lives in such a way that we can be with with our families, we can be with our church family, and we can enjoy God and who He is. It wouldn't be Sunday if it came every day, right? It's a rhythm. And this brings us to a moment of humility when we recognize I have needs that I can't fulfill. I'm not a plant. I can't just stand out in the sun and it fills up my tummy. I need to eat. I need to receive in nourishment that comes from outside of me. I'm not a, a, a machine that can just go, keep going nonstop. 
I have needs, I have to sleep. And those rhythms that God has built into us are good. They're part of our mortality. They're part of the reality of what it means to be human. And accepting those humbles us. Now, I want to take all of that, and in some ways, all of this is just an introduction to what Jesus is saying here. Jesus assumes a pattern of fasting in the lives of the people that he's talking to. I hope that you do that. But Jesus gives some instructions for a very specific reason. Because, and this applies so well to the world we live in today. This world that we live in right now needs Jesus' instructions. Because Jesus says it's not enough just to fast. Do you know that fasting can be a bad thing? It can be unhelpful in your spiritual development. I mentioned to you that gratitude and humility are the things that should flow out of our fasting. That when we fast, it should bring us... It should help us to be more grateful, and it should help humble our hearts. But Jesus is talking to a group of people that the most spiritual people they knew, Jesus called them hypocrites. As far as we know, Jesus actually invented this use of the word hypocrite. He, he, he borrows it from the idea that in the Greek plays, the, the Greek theater of the days of Jesus, there were people called hypocrites in Greek. They weren't bad people. But there were people that the style of drama that they used, they would put on a mask. So they would hold up the mask. Some of you have seen a mask, something like this, hanging on people's walls. Uh, A theater mask, and maybe there's a big smiling mask. And so they would say the funny words and the funny lines. And then they would switch up their mask, and they'd put on the laughing mask. And then they'd say the funny phrases. Or they'd put on the sad mask, and they would say the sad phrases. And the, the point was it had nothing to do with how their face actually expressed. They were hypocrites. They were people that put on a mask. They wore a mask. And Jesus uses this phrase, this word, hypocrite, and encourages the people in this sermon not to be like hypocrites. And he connects these hypocrites with Pharisees. And many times we think of those things as interchangeable, but that's because Jesus made them interchangeable. In the minds of the people Jesus is speaking to, Pharisees are the most godly and spiritual people they knew. In fact, the, the only word maybe that we could use now, the best way to understand it is when Jesus uses the word Pharisee, if you would just put in the word saint. When we think of saint, we think of somebody who's, who's genuinely spiritual. We don't, we don't usually use saint ever in a derogatory term, except if we say they just think they're a saint. That's the only time that we would use it like that, right? We Many times, especially of an older person, we would say, that lady is just a saint. Or... Uh, When we speak of somebody who's very patient, very kind, we think of them in saintly terms. That's the way that the the Jewish people thought of Pharisees. In their mind, Pharisees were the most spiritual people out there. And one of the things that Pharisees did is they fasted twice a week. They fasted uh, because they were spiritual. But obviously, from what Jesus says, they had a particular pattern for fasting that they did. They made sure when they fasted, they didn't wash their face. They didn't put on any cologne or perfume. They didn't anoint themselves. They didn't take a bath. And uh, you knew when they came by and they were dirty and stinky that they were fasting. So you connected those like, oh, there's Joe. There's spiritual Joe. I guess this is one of his fast days. He looks really depressed. He must be fasting. Joe's really spiritual. He fasts a lot. The word we use for this now is virtue signaling, right? Right? Joe's making sure that everybody knows what Joe does so everybody knows how godly he is, 
how holy he is, how spiritual he is. And Jesus says, don't do it like that. Why would you not? Why is it a problem for people to know? Now, I I don't think Jesus is trying to say that your fasting has to be a complete secret. I Obviously, I made it clear up here. I'm, I'm telling you all what I did for fasting for spiritual teaching so that you all know what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not expecting anybody to look at me like, oh, Brother Martin, I'm the pastor. I fast less often than I should as pastor. But I do try to make it part of my spiritual disciplines. But there's a specific reason why Jesus is concerned for these people. And you know, we can keep our fasting completely secret and still break the spirit of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is concerned about is people that live a certain kind of life only to get the approval of the people around them. And in fact, what they're doing about fasting is completely undoing all of the good that fasting is supposed to accomplish in their lives. I mentioned to you earlier that fasting develops gratitude towards God and towards the gifts that God has given us. And fasting also humbles us. But you know what happens when fasting becomes something that we use for our self-righteousness so that everybody looks on and says, ooh, I'm, so they can see, I am very spiritual, I am fasting. Well, the first thing is it, it cuts the roots of gratitude. Because instead of turning to God in thankfulness for all he's done, I look at myself and I'm very thankful for how good I am. Right? This is perfectly demonstrated in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. And Jesus specifically addressed this parable. Some parables Jesus just tells them, and he doesn't necessarily tell us the point or the purpose in the parable before he tells the parable. But this parable, Jesus specifically says about this parable, Luke says, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And here's the parable. It's the parable of the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee, comes before God and says, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week. I take tithe of all that I possess. I am not like even this publican over here. Now, listen to me and think, think carefully about this. What the Pharisee said was, I thank you, as in I thank God that I'm not like other people. But who was he really thankful to? He was thankful to himself. He was really saying, Oh, Joe, I thank me that I'm not like other people. You see, the whole focus of his prayer is on himself. And when fasting or any spiritual discipline becomes a thing done for the benefit of the people around us, it completely drains it of any character of godliness or gratitude, and it becomes focused upon ourselves, upon us. Oh, God, I thank you that I am so spiritual. Oh God, I thank you that I fast. And once that root of gratitude is cut, the next thing that's lost is when fasting is done in a way for show for others, it is not about humbling ourselves. It's about becoming even more proud. I've mentioned this before, and I I mentioned this story just because I think it's important to realize how insidious pride can become in our hearts. I listened to a sermon that was, was uh, expounding from the very passage, Luke chapter 18, that I just mentioned earlier, where the individual said, yes, I know the preacher said this. I know, you know, when that publican prayed, he said, oh, Lord, you know, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. But I'm sure the next day he went back to the temple and said, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee over there. (laughs) Do you see how he's so quickly, this is a man who purports to be a man of God, and he so quickly made the whole sermon about how we should be proud of our humility. Humility is that strange thing that as soon as you think you have it, you don't have it anymore, right? And Satan would love to focus us on ourselves. But humility is about turning to God, recognizing our neediness, recognizing how captivated we are by our own appetites, how hard it is to really discipline those appetites, the appetites for entertainment, the appetites for food, for pleasure, for new things. We want things to fill our life. And if we're going to be filled with God, we've got to begin to empty out. In the introduction to the sermon, I mentioned the fact that fasting is about bringing our body and our spirit together to where the appetites of our heart, our longing after God, and the, the emotions of our body, that emptiness that comes when we're fasting. We're telling God, just as empty as my stomach is of food, my heart is empty without you. I need you. I need you, God. I was reading a quote just earlier um, this, this week, uh, actually just yesterday. And as I, I read it, I was just so struck by how, how closely it applies to exactly what I'm trying to share with you all. And this is what, this is what was said. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribbling of triviality we drink in every night. What is this talking about? It's talking about fasting. What this scripture is saying, that quote is from John Piper, and what he's saying is this, that the danger in our lives so often is not turning out to outbroken sin and evil and wickedness. It is filling our lives with emptiness. When you talk to someone that cares about diet and nutrition, the concern that they'll share with you about the culture and world we live in today is what we call empty calories. Empty calories. Empty calories are candy bars, snacks, and desserts. It's all these things that we could do just fine without but it's very, very easy to fill our tummies with them till we don't even want any good, healthy, nutritious food. Our life is full. And some of us live our lives full of empty calories, spiritually speaking, and our lives are so full of prime time and hour of news and social media feeds. They're so full that we're empty of God and we don't even know it. And we're spiritually emaciated and unhealthy, but we don't realize that. Do you know what will bring you recognition? You know what will help you realize that? Fasting. As you empty out of your life all of the empty, draining calories, you recognize how empty you really are of God. And it begins to stir in your own heart your hunger for God. These dangers 
are not a reason to avoid fasting. They're a reason to do fasting right. And some of you, in your own lives, in the quietness of your own heart, you need to begin making some decisions about changes you're going to make in your life. This is not just about food. Now, fasting is the primary way in which the Old Testament and the New Testament, the the Scriptures, understand fasting. When they're fasting, they fast from food. There's different types of fasting. Daniel fasted for 21 days, and what he says, he said, I ate no pleasant food. Some people read that and take it to mean that that Daniel fasted from condiments and from salt and, and spices, and he just ate the food that was needful. He just ate bread and water. So he ate what he needed to, but it still created within him that craving for regular food and reminded him how much he needed to crave after God. I believe every one of us this morning, we need more of a hunger for God. And the way we acquire, the way we bring on that hunger for God is to push away some things that don't need to be in our lives. Some of you need to take a day off from your phone. You need to set it aside Start with an hour, two hours, morning or evening. Some of you need to take some time off from your TV. Unplug it. You need to create patterns and habits in your life that are for you. That They aren't for you to come to the next service and say, Praise God, I did this or I did that. But they are for you to do between you and God. One of the reasons why it's so dangerous when we make our spiritual lives about what other people see is we are leaning in to the most deadly thing to to genuine spirituality that Jesus warned of again and again and again. I don't even have time to go over all the passages where Jesus warned about this. But over and over again it's mentioned. It's in... It's in Mark chapter 11 and verse 32. It's in Mark chapter 12 and verse 12 where he speaks about the fear of man. Repeatedly he says... He speaks of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were unwilling to confess uh, the truth about what they really believed of John the Baptist. And the reason? They feared the people. Repeatedly, different groups of people are said to not be willing to turn to Christ and confess him openly because they feared the Jews. The man who was born blind and is healed... Parents, I'm sure, are rejoicing. Here's our son. He was born blind. Now he's healed. They refused to give God the glory and to accept that Jesus was the one that healed him. Do you know why? Because the Pharisees had said, if anyone confesses that Jesus is the Christ, they're going to be cast out of the synagogue. Fear of man controls our lives. And part of genuine spirituality is drawing in and saying, I'm not doing the things I'm doing for anybody except God. We in the church can weaponize that fear of man to control and manipulate people to get them to do what pleases us and in the end do exactly what Jesus said of the Pharisees. He said about the Pharisees, he said, Woe to you, Pharisees! You compass sea and land to make one convert, and when you've made your convert, when you're done with him, he's twice the child of hell that he was before. When we weaponize that fear of man by trying to get people to please us, It is just as wrong as when people are trying to please the world around them. But when we begin to grow quiet in our own hearts and humble ourselves before God and fast not to please anyone around us, but in order to grow, draw closer in our walk with God and in obedience to what Jesus is saying in these verses, 
we're going to draw genuine spiritual benefit. I would just encourage you, as you leave the service this morning, to take concrete steps in your own life. What am I going to do about what Jesus had to say? I guarantee you that there is a list of things you do for people to think well of you. You know, that, that's not wrong in and of itself. It is not wrong to try to make sure that you wear a little perfume or cologne when you're going to work because you don't want people to, you know, smell what you normally smell like. It's, that's, that's not wrong. There are all kinds of things that we do. We do our hair nicely and we, we do things for people to see. But if there is not a core of who you are in the quietness between just you and God, gradually, little by little, you're emptied out until there's nothing left of you but the part that other people see. You're hollowed out. What is the old saying, wisdom saying that says, character is what we are when no one's looking? And what that means is, if everything in your life is controlled by the people around you and what you think they'll look at, think of you when they look at you, you don't even have any character at all. You're emptied out. But God wants to get us in quietness before him, and then he longs to fill us up, to fill us with his spirit, to begin to, to, to nurture within us that hunger for him that he's promised he will fill. Two verses that I'll leave with you. I mentioned earlier humbling ourselves. Fasting is humbling. What does scripture say of the person that's humble? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. God draws near to the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's what God has to say about genuine, real humility. When we humble ourselves, what does the scripture say to those that are empty? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And I'll just leave you with this. I want you to think in your mind, what kind of person would I become if I would implement a habit, a pattern of fasting in my own heart, in private, not for anyone else's benefit, but just me and God, what would that make me into? It would make you into a person with more control over your appetites, with more ability to focus on the things that truly matter, with a greater sense of spiritual depth and genuine character. In a word, it would turn us more and more into the into what God has called us to be, into better examples of Jesus for the world around us. So the world, when the world looks on, they see a person who's in control of their appetites, who's able to, to conquer struggles in their life, because not because we're some super spiritual. In fact, it's taking the weakness, those hungers and desires that we have, and God using those to build strength of character within us. May God help us to grow hungry so that we can be filled. Amen. It's the hope and assurance of what I can see. It's the daily relying on Jesus to be providing more grace faithfully. Further proving his great love. For me, with grace for the moment, all that I need, grace for.
to those